0: Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Today we are joined by Anthony Natoli, strategic account executive at Lattice, former SDR, cold calling prospecting expert with intention. Anthony, you just started at Lattice. First couple of weeks in, how's it been?
1: Trent, thanks for having me on, man. Um, pleasure to be here. Things are going well. It's like any anything new. There's learning curve. There's growth there's onboarding there's trainings um but that doesn't mean that i can't still be building pipeline so yeah man i'm having a blast um it's a great organization great team and yeah i'm just pumped man pumped
0: pipeline is indeed the name of the game and i've been following you on linkedin uh you messaged me earlier this week and you said hey let's let's do it on the podcast and just like that we set it up we're here live right now and you've been absolutely crushing it on LinkedIn. You post frequently, which I appreciate. And you talked about, you don't need to, it, everything doesn't need to be perfect to start. You just started at a company, like a lot of other folks onboarding. It takes a long time just to understand what is the value prop? Who is the buyer persona? What are we actually doing here? But despite that, you're still putting yourself on the front line in the trenches, making the dials, learning by first-hand experience. Why don't you talk about what that's been, just learning through trial and error opposed to waiting until everything is right like so many reps tend to do?
1: Yeah, really great question to start. Um, I think like anything, you know, it's human nature to want to wait for this perfect scenario, this perfect time to get started. And what tends to happen when you do that is you you never end up actually starting because perfect is impossible, right? The perfect scenario is never going to come. So um, in this scenario with Lattice, you know, a few weeks ago, um, I said, Hey, listen, like, wh- why don't I just like get some reps in and make some calls? And, um, it felt really good, even though I'm not a product expert and I don't know our personas inside and out, I don't know our product inside and out. That's okay. That that's fine. And so the approach that I take, and I would recommend anyone that's new in a role, or maybe you recently got promoted or your first time SDR. I tell people that all you really need to understand is, um, who are the personas? And who are, what are the problems that they have? Um, and there's a couple of different ways that you can get to that, that outcome, right? So think about um, your solution and the process in which someone has to go about investing in your tool, right? It's not like a easy thing to do for your prospect. So as a result, there must be this thing that they're trying to solve, which is better known as a problem, right? And they may have more than one problem. And so if you're working at an organization that has customers, the good news is you've solved problems because no one invests in a solution unless it's solving problems. Um, and so I think uh, reps get into this, uh, this rut of trying to like be perfect with knowing the product and the features and everything that comes with it. When in reality, that's not what books meetings. People book meetings when you're talking about relevant problems to the right persona at the at the right time. And so, um, just an example, like framework about how you could go about this is, you know, if you're an SDR, ask your AE, hey, the last deal you closed, who are the top three personas involved in that deal, and for each of them, what were the top three problems, and how did that relate to why they bought our solution. Now you've got three personas with three problems each. That's nine different touch points per persona. So now if I'm thinking about how do I get started with my outreach? Well, now I have nine different touch points just for email. And now if I mix in some, from some, some phone calls, which Trent and you and I love doing and some LinkedIn touches, I've got oh. myself, a, I've got myself, a, I've got myself a sequence. And all I had to do was ask about the problems. And the personas that we're reaching out to, because the reality is if you're an SDR and AE, when you're prospecting, that's not the time and place to be talking about feature functionality at all. Like your goal is to book a meeting. And the way you book a meeting is, um, you know, creating awareness around a potential problem that they have, or if it's top of mind for them, letting them know that you're there to help solve it.
0: Especially during onboarding, I I think the marketing and the enablements, like, hey, we're leader in the market, automated intelligence, actionable insights, Gartner, Forrester, they rated us number one in the market. Tell everyone that and that's going to get you the meetings. And I think that that's the mistake a lot of reps make, including myself when I was an SDR, going with that feature first approach, even as a new account executive, just focusing on, Oh, our our analytics is going to help you. But when they actually get down to the buying decision, whether you're trying to sell the deal or set the meeting, it comes down to the perceived value. And it sounds like that's what you're getting to the root of with focusing on outcomes. Typically, based on my experience, people buy based on perceiving that this solution will help them make money, save money, or mitigate risk. So for example, this cup of water, rather than me trying to say, hey, this Water is gonna be really tasty. It's hey, this water will clench your thirst. You will be more hydrated as a result. It will increase your performance. When I'm cold calling, trying to set meetings based on selling the outcome, we both sell to HR buyers. We're talking about retention, engagement, all these, all these buzzwords. I, I think there's a there's a line between trying to find the value in the outcome and also identifying is this a priority right now? I know you talk a lot about prospecting with intention. So how do you find that right? line and balance of, well, we're here to sell time to get an initial meeting versus these are the implications of our solution. And this is why you need to take my meeting right now.
1: Yeah. I think the beautiful thing about prospecting, when you get to the point of being indifferent to like the outcome of whatever call you're making is that the reality is there's a group of prospects and accounts that you're focused on. Some of them are going to be a fit. Some of them aren't. And that's okay. And so like going in with that intention allows you to take the, um, the outcome out of it. And you really start to understand like, hey, you can ask questions around like, hey, is this a priority or having these problems? Um, and they're gonna, you're going to have a good understanding if, if that's the case or not. So I really think before you ever make a call or send an email, you really need to have a strong understanding and point of view of why you're reaching out in the first place, right? Like there's so much information that you can gather prior to making that first call, right? Have they talked to us in the past? Are they using a competitor? Um, Did someone recently join the company from a current customer, right? There's so much that you can find out to allow you to uh, prioritize who you're reaching out to and why. And that helps with being super relevant, right? So I talk about this idea that personalization alone like means nothing. And so if personalization doesn't have relevancy, then you're gonna be out of luck. So I almost say that when you're first starting out and you're prospecting, like it's better to be relevant alone than to be personalized alone. And so prospecting with intention really just means being super relevant, right? And, and maybe what you're talking about isn't relevant for them right now and that's fine. And that's why we have a number of prospects to go after, to find who's in line um, with what you're talking about, the problems that they may have, and um, why you're reaching out in the first place.
0: You had an absolute banger post on LinkedIn recently to shift gears a bit. And I I, I can't see the, the the impression numbers here, but I, I feel like it had to have reached at least 100,000 people. You said that you used to have a gambling addiction, but you haven't made a bet in 1,000 days. You used to have issues with finances, but you paid off 100K in debt. You used to have an overeating problem. And I saw saw the picture of you in the past. You used to be a big guy. I used to be a big guy as well. I used to be 60 pounds heavier. So we definitely can relate on that. And uh, luckily, we're here to help people with their wealth and money, not necessarily uh, fitness or or, uh, health. But we can can get that as well. Um, But ultimately, your point is that your past does not define you. And your flaws can be turned into superpowers. Life is full of choices, and the choice is yours. Self-acceptance is a first step to inner peace and freedom. There's a lot of dimensions to that post, and it's so powerful. But why don't why don't you talk us through what was going through your mind when you thought of that idea, that concept, and you wrote that? And 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 just under the under the hood, what was going on there and, and how we can take that less those lessons to apply in our own lives.
1: Yeah. So Posts went bonkers. And it's funny, uh, the posts that I almost don't write always do the best because yeah, it's man, scary so and uncomfortable. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, I went through a uh, period of self development the last three years where all of those changes took place. And there was a period of time where, like, my life was like, where it was kind of cruising, not a lot of problems. But recently, you know, I've had some things pop up and I was thinking to myself, you know, problems never go away. And it allowed me to reflect like on the progress that I've made and how far I've come and realize that, Hey, like I've overcome some stuff. I can deal with this too. And so I started reading a book a few weeks ago, uh, listening to an audio book called it's called it takes what it takes. And, um, it's this guy who is a mental conditioning coach for, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, quarterback for the Denver Broncos, formerly Seattle Seattle Seahawks. He's worked with Alabama Crimson Tide football team, Georgia Bulldogs football team, Florida State Seminoles. And he essentially talks about this idea that you have a choice in every decision that you make. It's like you can choose good or that you can choose bad. And so the idea behind the post was, you know, um, thinking about like, hey, when, when you've got a problem, you can either choose to let that problem affect how you show up and you could throw yourself some kind of you know pity party or uh, feel really sorry for yourself and that doesn't serve you or you can choose to you can choose better, which is uh, hey I've been through problems in the past and I can deal with I can deal with hard things And so when I mentioned the uh, the gambling addiction it's more of like a self-reflection but also showing people that like hey like, You have this thing that's going on right now, whether it's like you're really struggling to book meetings or you can't close deals, but accept that. And once you accept that, you can choose what to do with that, right? So like when I had my gambling addiction, I had a choice. Could I continue down the path of like self-destruction or could I choose a different way of thinking and living? And once I accepted that flaw, it allowed me to be liberated from that and own it. And that allowed me to reach out to people and ask for help. Right. So that was the idea behind it. Um, it's, you know, life is full of choices. Everything in your life has stemmed from a choice that you've made. That's when I, you know, people say everything happens for a reason. The reason for that saying is because it's true. Every choice you make leads you down a certain road. Right. Um, and so that, that was kind of the idea behind the post.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing it and going deep with it. Um, I used to gamble a lot too, and I wouldn't necessarily say it was an addiction, but I found that it was getting in the way of my actual goals. Monday morning, I'd come in, I'd be at a $200 deficit, and I'd be thinking, who can I take Monday Night Football to get out of this? And then all of a sudden, you would lose, and then your you're whole you're thinking about this during the week, when in reality, if you just focus that mental energy on your actual targets, it would put you in a way better position to reach the goals and objectives you have. And it's similar with health. It's similar with your work and, and everything. And there's, there's a lot of different distractions that could be in place. There is a, a viral clip by the Duke women's basketball coach that I listened to that I, I think there's some parallels to what you're talking about. She says that things are never going to get easy. We must learn to deal with hard better. So rather than wishing, hey, w- once I get that promotion from SDR to AE, things will all of a sudden be magically easier once I get through this practice, oh, all of a sudden doing the core exercises is gonna be way easier. I, I think that it's the heart is never going away. So to your point, once you can can accept that and say, I'm gonna be better because of this and just realize that I just need to do it day in and day out, and, and that, that truly is what it takes. Why do you think the posts that you consider not writing tend to do the best? Because I feel the same way. The posts that I put the least amount of effort into that, that are just sporadic, that are in the moment that are based on just a raw emotion tend to do the best. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. What it comes down to is people, people, humans at our core crave authenticity. People want to be themselves. And so when they see someone acting in that way, they latch onto it. Right. And so like, for example, you know, the reason I reached out to you is I can tell that you're that type of person. And confident people want to be around confident people, and people that aren't confident they still want to be around confident people. So, you know, when someone can share that about themselves, um, I think people resonate with it. And I think um, the reason why it's so hard to write those posts, but they do so well, is that it's a super uh, personal. It's it's um, it's an opportunity to be super vulnerable, which is scary and it's uncomfortable. But all of that equates to super, uh, relevant and relatable information that people are also going through. Um, and so when you have that feeling of discomfort or you feel, uh, like you're doubting yourself of why you should do it, there's probably a good reason you feel that way, right? It's like, this is, this is kind of scary to post. I don't know if I should do it. Um, but those are really just your thoughts and self-limiting beliefs, um, holding you back when in reality, like, you see those posts and you get those DMS from people. And it's like, wow, like thank goodness I post that because it's helping so many people. Right. It's um, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. And I think, again, it goes back to when you're your authentic self and you're being vulnerable, it allows other people to be their authentic selves and be vulnerable as well. And that creates this sense of like trust and open line of communication and relatability. That sometimes, like, we don't see on social media. It's more of like, hey, look at all this cool stuff I've done. But I think people love to see like people that have struggled or have failed and overcome it. And everyone loves a, a comeback story, you know. So I think that story rings true here.
0: Speaking of authenticity, something you talk a lot about is I, I think mindfulness, intention, and, and I I don't want to I don't want to say burnout, but I, I want to say just I I think you had a recent post that that. It, Point because i think we're slightly on two different endpoints in this so i think it'll be an interesting conversation to have you said that you used to chase crushing quota having tons of money trying to close every single deal now you're focused more on the inputs to get to your goals which i think the process and frameworks to just quantify what are the daily things i need to focus on to be successful are so important it's something i want to talk deeper about having a strong why and core values having an abundant life outside of work and i think that that's something that i talk a lot about not I don't want to say I'm good or bad at it, but something that I, I really just disproportionately prioritize works, so I'm not as good at that. So I, I do want to hear your viewpoint on that as well. But you talked about results take care of themselves when you focus on the right things, chase controllable inputs opposed to uncontrollable outcomes. I think that that in and of itself is a really powerful message. So where I want to start with this is as you think about being an account executive, what does a successful day in the life look like? And what are those controllable inputs that you are so hyper focused on?
1: Yeah, really great. Great question. Um, you know, I think the day in the life of an account executive can look very different. A successful day can look different depending on the segment that you work in. But um, yeah. I'll just take it back to when I was like a mid-market account executive. I'll keep it in the middle at, at outreach. So I think the um, the daily inputs that make a successful day all start with like being intentional with your time. So you you can want to do all these things, but if you don't have a system to follow to actually act on those things, you you tend to show up every day and you kind of wing it, right? Like, what am I gonna do today? Why am I doing this? And so um, I love to follow a like time blocking system. So uh, there would be a time like on Monday where there was 30 minutes and all I did during that 30 minutes was add people to a sequence. Or there would be a period of time where I'm doing my research on the accounts that I'm about to reach out to. Right. So this idea of time blocking and filling those time blocks with prioritized activities um, and you break them down into like, hey, what are the activities that are helping me build pipeline? And then what are the activities uh, that are helping me uh, move my pipeline forward and then deprioritizing the rest? Like those are your two top green activities that you should be laser focused on. And I'm a firm believer, right, if, if we're thinking about making calls. And if you have an hour call block in the morning and the hour call block in the afternoon, for example, and all your act, if you actually have the discipline to make those calls in the morning and the afternoon, you're going to put up some, some numbers. Like we all know it's a numbers game. Um, And at the end of the week, you'll be able to say, Hey, listen, like I put in the inputs. I can sleep well at night. Like I know I did the controllables. I didn't fool myself, but on that same note, you have to have an honest conversation with yourself at the end of the week too. So that's what it forces is that accountability because you can reflect and say, Hey, look, I missed that call block. So I probably need to, you know, change that moving forward. And I can't blame anyone else, but myself because I skipped those call blocks. So, um, it all starts with like having, um, intention with your time and then developing discipline to actually execute on those inputs. So, um, again, I think more tactically with your question about like the things within those time blocks, it's prospecting, it's deal prep, it's collaboration with maybe a solutions consultant, it's um, demo debriefs with uh, prospects, all the things that fill up those two buckets of revenue generating activities for building pipeline and moving pipeline forward are the things that an AE should be focused on. And if you're focused on those inputs every single day, you know I, I use the analogy like when you hike a trail the trail's already at the end and if you continue to put one foot in front of the other you're going to get to the end of that trail so that's how i like to <laughs> that's how i like to relate it back to that
0: i like that analogy we're gonna, we're going to get through the trail no matter what uh, and it's reassuring to hear another rep at another reputable company talk about the same things that we preach internally as well as an account executive in the corporate or mid-market space, however you want to define it, I, I work with companies that are $2 billion in revenue and less, so you can put in perspective the types of company, companies I'm speaking with, and I view all of my time through the, through the lens of only focusing on pipeline generation activities, pipeline health activities, and then self-development. Anything else... I don't wanna call it a waste of time because maybe you're helping somebody else. Um, but oftentimes, any activity that's not one of those buckets is not contributing to you generating more revenue. So you need to be careful. How are you spending your time? And to your point, to dive a layer deeper, being able to leave the office or sign off in a remote work environment in your home and say, did I win the day, yes or no? And be able to quantify what does a successful day look like? And to your point, blocking off time, its it's a practice I follow as well. I really dread sending emails because I know that I need to customize it to an extent but I just want to send my generic template that's just what I want to do. So I'll start my day with that I'll block up 30 minutes and just send a few emails even if it's three four and 30 minutes that's what it takes. Whenever you get to a point where, where, where you always prioritize the fundamentals and you never get tired of the basics those really are the building blocks to ultimately what revenue number you put up at the end of the quarter so I do think it's really important. I know something that I talk a lot about is is work-life balance. And I'm somebody that I would not say, I, I don't think I have balance. And I preach not having balance because I feel like people in their 20s, you're at a unique phase where you have, an, you have a potential chance to get ahead in life. And I know you talk about the, the counterpoints to that, about it's really important to have a fulfilling life outside of work, which I, I also agree with as well. But why don't you talk about your viewpoints around having a quality life in and outside of the office?
1: Yeah. So I think it comes down to like integrating the two, right? Um, work-life balance is really tough because you typically take whatever stuff that you dealt with, um, during the day and take it with you at night or whatever. So it's like integrating your work in life together. So, um, I'll give an example, you know, prior to my self-development, um, you know i didn't have a strong why or strong internal core values and so um i was left with all the external things of work driving my self-worth and so i didn't have like this greater purpose that i was striving for and so as a result like if i got hung up on or you know i got a, a negative email from a prospect or i lost a deal that was was making me whole and so i got burned out i felt lost i would I would do all these self-sabotaging behaviors. And the reason I talk about having a purpose and strong core values and a life outside of work is so that you can recognize that the outcomes at work, while important, aren't making up your core as a human, like your, your why and your internal purpose should drive how you show up externally, not the other way around. And so that's the meaning behind like having this abundant life because I know for a fact, for me personally, if I'm letting money or my commission check drive how I show up on a customer call, that completely switches the lens in which I show up to that customer and the questions that I'm asking. Now, if I can take a step back out of that scenario and give you the the flip side of the coin, if I know that like, hey, regardless of how this call goes, I'm still a great person. I've got a good life outside of work. Um, I've got a great family, I've got my health. There's so much to be grateful for. It's gonna allow me to show up in an abundant way, a confident way that like, all I'm here to do is try to see if we're a good fit, trying to help, whatever. It It takes the outcome out of the situation. And so like that needy or anxious energy is absent in those scenarios. And so that's why I think it's really important to have like, things that you like really care about outside of work um, and have a strong why and core values, integrity that drive like why you're in sales. You know, I, I used to be in sales for what I thought was the right reason, but for the wrong reasons. Now it's different, right? I love being in sales now because it challenges me to be better every single day. And it allows me to focus on making progress and helping people solve problems. When before I was just like, yeah. Like if I close a deal, that means that like, I'm good. I'm good enough. Yeah. If I don't, if I don't win a deal, that means like, I must not be good enough. Now yeah. I know I'm good enough regardless if I win or lose a deal. And that's the, that's the difference.
0: It sounds like going into your day, not attributing your self-work to the outcomes you're driving allows you to then create more abundance with your customer conversations or internally. And, 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 and you don't have that cold or breath thing of where they're like, oh, this guy just wants to make money. You see the customer and you say, I'm going to make 1000 from this deal, whatever it may be. And that's advice I got from a senior sales leader. He says, Trent, whatever you do, do not associate your self-worth with your performance. And I, that's something that I feel like I'm always treading a fine line with um, because I think as a guy, and I think a lot of guys, especially in, in their 20s, based on what I've observed, speaking with a lot of people, is that we're naturally status-driven we want the Lamborghini, not because it's just cool. It's because everyone knows that they can't have one, but I have one. And and, and in a way, I think that's what corporate America presents is those people that completely disproportionately, if you and I are working on the same things and we're equally as smart, but I'm willing to work longer, then who is going to be in a better position to ascend the ladder, whatever it may be. But ultimately it's just a status symbol of what even matters or doesn't matter. So it's something I always go back and forth on. It's something I, I know I need to get better at, uh, but I think it's an important conversation to have to make sure that you have abundance in and outside of the workplace. Shifting gears a bit, I, you talked about the figured out factor. And I, I always like when people define new opportunity or a new way of thinking about things. And you talked about folks, particularly SDRs and the AEs, they use systems, they get creative, they get scrappy, they find the answers, they navigate concepts, cons, um, complex situations. And these are really the intangibles that contribute to success more so than maybe just being book smart or overly technical. Why don't you talk about the importance of of being able to display scrappiness and, and embodying that figure it out factor?
1: Yeah, so it's it's having that like internal IQ of like doing the things that you know other people aren't gonna be doing. And I, I take this all the way back when I was an SDR at demand base, you know, I was 25 at the time I was coming from a finance background and I had really good business acumen, but I had no experience in SaaS. but I knew there were things that I knew how to do. And I almost call it like street smarts. Like I was never good in school, like by the book, not because I'm dumb. It's just, cause I didn't like, it wasn't my thing, but I always had this like uh, natural curiosity, this, this self-awareness, IQ that I mentioned to just like get things done and figure out answers and figure out like what I want and how to get there. So I had my eye on when I first came in, I was like, I'm getting promoted in less than a year, like whatever it is. And so I would, I would say to myself, like, what are the things that I can do that people that have been here for two years in seat aren't doing? You know, there's a reason they didn't get promoted yet. So let me figure out the things that they may not be doing that will help. And so I started like sharing in our Slack channels right away. I would send emails that were working and a lot of the team hated it because they were like, who's this new guy coming in super hot. But in reality, like that's, that would make the, that made the team better. So my VP loved it. Um, I would volunteer to, um, you know, speak up in team meetings. I spoke at our SKO. I, I, You know, I had a really good, strong relationship with uh, with uh, my two AES. They made it to President's Club. I put time on the VP of Mid Market Sales calendar like once a month. Like all these little things that you don't think make a big difference that added up. And six months went by. They wanted to promote me, but they couldn't because of like internal HR stuff. Like it would have like rubbed everyone the wrong way, and it wouldn't be good. So I I got promoted in nine months instead. Then, you know, um, I, as an, a new AE, for the first, you know, first time SAS AE, I took that same approach. I was like looking at everyone who was successful and I, you know, had to figure out my own way. And so, you know, I used that same kind of scrappiness, those intangibles to, to learn on my own, right? Like find books, YouTube clips, podcasts, like coaching, all the things that I knew that, uh, were outside of like my purview of the the nine to five to get me to that next spot. And so I think it's interesting to to relate it back to your other point. It's Like in our twenties, that's the time to work really hard and don't get it twisted. Like I'm all about hard work, but as long as it's like purpose-driven hard work, I'm all about it. And I hate losing. Like when I lose, I'm not just like, ah, whatever. I'm good. No, I, I hate losing. I was wrestler football player baseball player growing up like I hate losing like to my core I just deal with it in a different way now so um, yeah I think just to to round that that point out it's the people that have those intangibles can move up quicker and have more success typically than the people that have experience but don't have the intangibles so give me the person that has intangibles that's willing to get scrappy and to figure it out versus the people that I've experienced that that aren't
0: I agree. I would take you on my team ten out of ten, other than the person who came from the right school, because you're willing to roll <laughs> up the sleeves and get dirty, and nobody's gonna control. Nobody's gonna care about your success as much as you do, in being willing to be a little uncomfortable and putting time on that that big boss's calendar and say, "Look, I'm not. I, this is what I want, and this is what I'm working towards, and this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to help your team." I've taken the same approach as well, a, a year ahead of my eligibility to promote to an enterprise rep, I reached out to the head of the enterprise and said, look, I want to be on this team. This is this is where I think I'm good today. These are the things I'm going to work on this year. What do you think is important? That one allows them to know who I am and then also allowed them to give some input to he- actually help me develop. So then when that time comes, we're going to be in the best position possible. Where I want to finish this conversation with is LinkedIn because I think LinkedIn is is simultaneously one of the most underutilized prospecting tools and underutilized personal brand accelerators. I personally do not use it for prospecting. I was trained by um, Jay Barrows, all those guys They came out, Morgan Ingram, big LinkedIn guy. And he said he used to send voice messages, reach out to prospects. And I started doing that. I don't think I was consistent enough to really see it through. Now I exclusively use it for personal brand stuff. And to me, it's just distribution. It's getting attention, adding value. And then eventually you can distribute folks to, in my case, my YouTube stuff, my website, in your case, your up and up, which we can talk about at the end, your private membership group. But you made a post talking about how to get prospects to connect with you on LinkedIn. I know you were previously selling to revenue leaders at outreach. Now you're selling to HR leaders like me. I personally do not always connect I don't connect with prospects on LinkedIn because I know that they're HR and I know they don't care about my post. Yeah. Um, am I making a mistake there? Or like, how do you think about LinkedIn as a way to, to generate pipeline slash personal brand? Is it one or the other or both?
1: Yeah, such a great question. Um, so when I built my personal brand, I was first at outreach and it naturally just helped me with prospecting. Like I would have a sales loft customers that were my prospect asking me to come in and do prospecting sessions with them. I'm like, well, why don't you ask sales loft? You know, that's interesting. (laughs) Um, You got to spend with me to
0: get me in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But no, I think with um, now taking the, the revenue leader out of it, right. Building my personal brand brand where I love talking about, uh, prospecting with intention, um, selling, and building—you know—healthy habits and discipline. It's like HR people don't really care about that. Uh, maybe the discipline part, but it's not going to help me book meetings. So, um, in general, I view any other channel than email, like LinkedIn or video, as a way to point them back to the email, unless I get a connect and I'm able to have a good conversation. So, my approach on LinkedIn is I use it after I have built some awareness for myself via email or maybe we had a conversation and I'll say just something like, Hey, I sent you a couple notes. If they, you know, outreach tells me they've opened it. Hey, I sent you a couple notes, uh, wanted to put a face to the name and, ah, um, that's smart. Yeah. And that's it. And I won't try to like send them a voice note or pitch them or hoping they see my content. Um, I just want them to see that I- I'm a human. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And it just increases the likelihood that they open my email again so I can call them. And when I say, hey, it's Anthony with Lattice, my name, ring a bell. Now they've seen my LinkedIn note. They've seen my face. They've seen a couple emails. They're going to give me a moment to explain why I called. And that's when I have to do my job and um, be relevant, propose a a relevant problem and and try to book that time. So the goal is it's it's all just a, a system and... Webs that are twisted together, you know. Like I don't view any one channel except calling. If you get a connect, as like a, a silver bullet, right? It's all got to work together um, to to work as a whole.
0: Money follows attention, and if they can put a face to the name, and if you're going to keep calling them, you're going to send them notes on LinkedIn, email. They're eventually going to say, "Okay, Anthony Lattice, let me give him a, let me get let, let me give let me at least respond to them, and, and we'll get them off my back." So I think that that's important. We'll finish up with, I noticed that you recently started a private membership group. Um, I have one as well. I think it creates a really unique opportunity to go deeper with those folks that resonate with our messaging, um, who we are and ultimately drive everyone forward to the dream outcomes they do have. So why don't you talk about your work and your project at, at the up and upright and, uh, yep. h- how that is, what that is and where folks can find it and find you. hundred percent. So, uh,
1: I have, you know, my newsletter, which is like for just like my personal stuff. I've I do some one-on-one coaching as well for younger sales professionals, um, because you know I'm trying to help people that were struggling or uh, struggling like I did a couple of years ago. So not people that I'm like 30 steps ahead, but maybe two or three steps ahead. Um, and the up and up was a interesting idea that was brought to me by uh, my buddy Tom Alemo, who many people may know from Gong. And, um, I went on his podcast and we really just jived on this idea of like self-development mental health and how it relates to being in sales. And, you know, we saw a gap that there wasn't a lot of like private spaces for those types of conversations. And so essentially what the group is, it's through Patreon and and we have a, a private discord and it's about 50 members right now where, um, it's individuals that are looking to uplevel their game as, as sales professionals, BDRs, SDRs, AEs, but also people that are trying to fit, find that balance and prioritize their mindset, their mental health, their wellness, while still performing well at work. And um, one of the things that we do is bring on a member each week. Um, so we had Ian Cognac, Brandon Flaherty, Zoe Hartsfield. um just to name a few that were on and talk to the group about, Hey, these are people that are well-established in the industry that have had tons of success, like tactical, but also how are they prioritizing things like losing a deal or having a bad day or getting a negative email or getting hung up on. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's in the beginning stages. So we're learning a ton, but, but yeah, it's like 10 bucks a month to get those four weekly Q and a sessions um, that you get to ask them anything. So we thought that was a really unique value proposition that a young seller can ask these people like anything that's on their mind Um, where to do that with them individually, (laughs) you know, who knows how much they're charging for that. So that was the idea behind it. We'll see where it goes, but
0: I'm just enjoying it, man. Enjoying it. That's exciting. Well, for those of you who want to go find Anthony, Anthony Atoli, you can go find him on LinkedIn. I know his newsletters on there and and everything in regards to his project. Um, Anthony, thanks so much for your time today. I look forward to putting this up. For those of you still watching, make sure to subscribe now, like, comment, leave a review, whatever you're doing, whatever platform you're on, we're on everywhere. Uh, Show us some support. Let's get the message out. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, everyone.